Good morning, everybody. My name is Pete. I'm the pastor here. And um, I have a friend to introduce you to. Uh, he is a special guest who's come up from the depths of South London. And uh, Tom, would you, would you come on up? It's special for me because I like introducing my friends to my friends. And uh, Tom <laughs> has been my friend for ages. Um, he's really tall. And uh, I, I, that's the way I like to keep it with my friends. You know? <laughs> on the same level. Yeah. yeah. Tom, thanks for, thanks for coming up with your lovely family, Katie and Jess as well. Um, the reason I've got Tom here today is not just because I like having my friends around, although that's nice, um, is because he introduced me to a special book called Faithfully Present by Adam Ramsey. And the book inspired the little sermon series that we're starting today. And so I invited Tom here to tell us about the book and about lots of the, lots of the ways it's taught him and me, and I'm hoping it might overflow with you guys. As yeah, well. I was basically raving about it last time we met, um, and that's where it's all come from. You mean gave me a, a copy? And I, I may have given you a copy as well, because it was that good. You know, you read those books and you think, actually, I know a lot of people who need to read this book. Um, and I, so I handed it over. Um, just tell us uh, exactly where you've come from. Yeah, so this morning I've uh, travelled uh, all the way down Putney High Street. I've come over the river. I've conquered the North Circular. Um, you'd normally find me at Dundonald Church in Rains Park, um, and I'm normally sitting about three rows back on the right-hand side because I'm a very habitual person. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and we've got about, there's about 200 adults who gather there in the mornings um, and about 600 kids, it feels like. Um, it make quite a lot of noise. Um, yeah, that's the, that, they do have a lot of kids, yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about the book. Um, Excellent. How is this book, Faithfully Present, Embracing the Limits of Where and When God Has You, how has this affected you? So when I read this book, I was really challenged because it took some of the assumptions that I was living with and it turned them upside down. Um, so the church I go to is quite a busy church. There's lots of things going on. And I think I was struck when Adam said that actually just because you're doing a lot of things doesn't mean that you're doing well. So doing lots doesn't mean that you're doing well. Um, and it helped me to just slow down and stop and think actually what does it mean to be faithfully present with what God has given me at this moment in this time. Mm. Um, I also like being quite efficient in my job and in my household. Um, and it's been known, you can talk to my wife and Kate Jess about this later. It's been known that I've, I've got grumpy sometimes when I've been interrupted. When I'm in the flow, I know what I want to get done and someone is in my way. Um, in fact, only this morning there was a, a blue golf that was traveling rather slowly in front of me. I was trying to conquer the North Circular and um, Katie and Jess both told me, oh, I have to use this example this morning when God has put something in front of you quite literally um, and you need to be a bit more faithfully present and just be uh, uh, yeah, a bit calmer and less grumpy. Um, so actually there's a quote I was going to read you from a little bit of the book on page 63. Um, Adam, Adam writes this, which really challenged me. Um, he said, what if we were to allow ourselves actual margin in our days for unhurried delight in the life that we have? To have bandwidth in our days, to talk and to be attentive and to receive without frustration the providential interruptions that God sends our way. After all, Jesus doesn't want your busyness, he wants your fruitfulness. So it's been a real challenge to me, and I'm definitely not anywhere near where I should be, but I'm better than I used to be at taking interruptions that come in my day and not getting grumpy at them, but thinking, actually, God has ordained this interruption. How can I, how can I be present in it? Um, how can I be godly in it? Mm. Um, and that's really helpful. My wife is very good at this. She will see a neighbor in the street as we're walking home 
And whereas my heart sinks and I think, how do I get inside very quickly without having to have a conversation with them? She will stop and actually engage with them and talk with them and love them. And the fruit that has come from those conversations is, is, is immense. Um, and that's a real challenge to me to stop being grumpy and just thinking about turning the oven on to get dinner ready, but actually stopping and chatting with people and loving people who are around me. And now the cynical Londoner in me goes, yeah, but in practice, I've got lots to do, and you know, there's, there's plenty, so I can't stop and talk to everybody. But yeah. I'm excited. We're going to open the Bible today, and we'll look at what the, the way God has created us as a human being means you can only be in one place at one time. That's right. So you may as well embrace it. Um, you had a nice way of thinking this through with home group and church life. Can yeah, so that? I run a, a little home group on a Wednesday night down in, uh, in southwest London, if you're ever passing through, um, 8 o'clock, number one, the green. Um, and... What, it, what it's challenged me to do is sometimes it doesn't feel like we're doing very much. We just gather, we're messy people, we're broken people, we've all got problems in our lives. And we gather together and we, we chat, we pray, we look at what God's word has to say into our lives. And it doesn't feel like we're doing very much. But Adam helped me by reading this book to see that actually God can take the really small things and do really big things with them. And it's not up to me to be doing the big things, it's up to me to be doing the, the, the faithful things in the moment and, and loving my brothers and sisters around me. Mm. Um, and he, he does the rest from that, so, mm. yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I can, I it's can very exciting. Yeah. And he's Australian too, so like me, and so it's a very easy book to read. You can have everything, can you? Yeah. It's, it's quite simple. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure. Uh, we'll leave it there. We're very, very grateful for you coming well, all the way I up. I think I've got copies at the back, don't Oh, you're selling books? Well, tell us selling about books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm selling it. Um, so uh, that's because that's my job. Um, so if, if anyone would like a copy, if Pete does it justice in his talk, yeah. then um, there will be copies for sale at the back. So please come and um, find me afterwards. What does it retail at? Uh, oh, it's very expensive. Um, uh, 9.99. And what are you selling it for today? Only six. Only Ooh, six pounds. Bargain. I yeah. smell a bargain. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Uh, Tom, thank you. Yeah, thanks for reminding. You pop that over there. Yeah. Tom works for the Good Book Company, so I'm pretty sure you won't ever get it cheaper than he's selling it to you today. Um, and the 9.30 service brought up a good load as well. Thank you, Tom. There are two Bible readings that I'd like to turn to with this in mind. The first is Genesis chapter 2, page 4 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. And just while you're turning there, can I ask you to do a mental exercise as well? I want you, please, to imagine you're a a satellite looking down from space at planet Earth. And can you picture the British Isles in your mind? And can you double-click, as it were, and zoom in on London and see the M25 and the River Thames in your mind-ish? And I want you to zoom in on your neighbourhood. If you live outside London, feel free to do your version. Okay? Can you zoom in on your neighbourhood? Can you, can you zoom in on your street? Yeah, in your head? Now your house or your flat. You got it? As much as you can, see if you can, I can imagine the contours, the property. Try and keep it in your mind because that place is the place where you spend loads of time, isn't it? And that is the place, therefore, God is calling you to be faithfully present in. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How can I be in, in that place and be faithful to God as much as possible? Let's pray, and then we'll read the word. Father God, I pray to you, and all of us, we, just, we spend lots of time somewhere, and I pray that you would be pleased to bless us as we think about what you're calling us to as human beings who can only live in one place at one time. 
pray you bless us whether we're totally new to Christianity and the Bible or whether we've been here a thousand times. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. John chapter 1 is our other reading. John chapter 1. You might like to keep Genesis available to you. Page 1063. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier on this week, my wife Sarah told me I was too busy. (laughs) She said, you're rushing around from meeting to meeting, trying to, you seem to have packed everything in. Are you going to slow down? I said, I can't stop to talk because I've got to get to another meeting. Uh, But uh, it did sink in later that day. I thought, yeah, I've probably packed in too many people, too many places. So if you saw me on Monday or Tuesday this week, I'm sorry. I probably didn't do you justice in whatever we were trying to deal with. You can only be in one place at one time, right? I know it's blindingly obvious, but I want to help you rejoice in it today. And actually, I want to show you in the scripture that That's the way you're created to be. You can't have it any other way anyway, so you may as well embrace what God has created you to be, a human being with two feet, and they can only be in one location. Of course, it's difficult because things don't get done if you can't be in as many places as you thought you could. Meetings tend not to happen. People don't organize themselves. 
the complications that you thought you could iron out can't get ironed out, and lots may depend on you. But you're a human being, and that's not going to change. What I propose to do today and next week is a mini-series, and it'll have two installments, and then we'll go back to John's, um, Luke's Gospel, where we were spending our time. And I'm calling this mini-series Here and Now. And this week we're going to focus on the here, That's, that is geographical location, you can only be in one place, here. And next week we're going to focus on now, and that is you can only live in one moment, which is now. So stop trying to be God and wishing it were otherwise, and, and let's, let's embrace being faithfully present with the here and the now. So for the purposes of today we're talking about here, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to simply compare us as humans and God. And I find it refreshing, so I hope you do too. So first of all then, out of two things, uh, you can only be in one place at one time. This is a God-given limitation. I mean, God could have created you, us, as a sort of cloud-based robot mind, and you, know, you could sort of access information but not really have any location. That would be kind of cool, but he didn't do that because he could have and he decided not to. You could have been like a giant octopus a mile wide with eight arms and you could have been present in eight different locations, but he didn't do that either. You could have been, what, some sort of animal, like a, a blob, uh, but he didn't make you a blob, he made you a human being. So there's, see, uh, there's a lot of definiteness. God decided to make us human beings and despite the enormous variation in the human race, you know, what is it, seven billion human beings, none of us are the same. And yet we are, we, you can recognize a human when they walk down Whiteman Road, right? That's a human being, not a dog. Because we all look similar, we're similar size, we can only be in one place at one time. Depending on your temperament and situation, it's tempting to either be over-ambitious or under-ambitious. So you could be over-ambitious, like I, Sarah tells me I'm over-ambitious, you try to pack too much in, you're trying to be everywhere, which is like trying to overreach. Right? I'd, I'd quite like to be a bit like God. God can be everywhere, so I'd like to be more powerful, more, more capable. Or you could be under-ambitious, and you could, you could think, I'm more like, I'd just rather I was like an animal, you know, just, I don't want the responsibility, I'm just going to be lazy. Whereas God calls you to be a human being on planet Earth, made in his image. Let's look at the scriptures. Uh, Genesis 2 is where I wanted to start, because... Um, in Genesis, God famously does all of this. He does the creating. He does, he, he does the deciding. You may know, we haven't got time to the whole of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it's a big picture. God created the heavens and the earth, and he's flinging stars into space, and he's creating galaxies, and everything is broad brush. Genesis 2 narrows the focus, and it's like God zooms in on a particular area. Let's have a look. Genesis 2, verse 7. Do you have that? Then the Lord God formed a man, if you follow the footnote to the bottom, is literally an Adam from the, can someone help me out, from the what? From the dust. Yeah. You see that, Genesis 2 verse 7, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So he made humans from dust. At the risk of laboring the point, Here's my hoover. And um, guess what it's full of? Right? In here is dust. 
And uh, that's what you're made of. <laughs> Loads of dust. God, because God can work miracles and he can do anything and he's the creator, he can take a clump of that in the Middle East and he can go, there's a man or there's a woman. And it's incredible. But it's very humbling, isn't it? Because we're made out of that stuff in the hoover. And as if to hammer the point home, God names the first human being, Adam, which means in Hebrew, it just sounds a lot like the word for dust or soil or ground. You can, you can sort of translate it in a number of different directions. But the point is, you're, you're, you're made out of that stuff, mate. So uh, Dusty and his wife Eve, they become the first ever tenants on planet Earth. And they're, they're made out of this. Do you get the idea? So God is uh, appropriately humbling the human race from, from the outset. You're not God, but I'll create you. I'm going to make you. I'll make you in my image, and you're going to have dignity. But I don't want you, don't want you to forget what you're made of, clods of. Verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. This is where we get that um, very familiar term, the Garden of Eden. And just notice for our purposes today, there's just one place. It's one garden. It might have been really big. We're not told you whether it was hectares and hectares or just like a London garden. But it was just one. Adam and Eve, you know, they, they and their descendants may have been able to explore Australia when they, you know, when, when they, uh, what's the word? Multiplied themselves. Awkward. Uh, or New Zealand or, or Japan. But, but that wasn't for them at that time. He just said, just one place. I'm going to put you in this garden. You're going to live there. And I want you to knuckle down and be in one location. And this was, of course, humanity at its best. God was saying to them, just live in one place, and that'll be enough for you. A large part of Genesis 2 also has to do with the human body, so um, we didn't read it out, but you see Genesis 2, 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We won't get into all the detail of chapter 2 and Adam and Eve now, but we'll discuss in home groups. I've also preached sermons on them on YouTube if you want. But I just want you to notice how fleshy it is. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. It's a very um, physical way for Adam to talk about himself and about Eve. Humans were also always meant to have ribs and eye sockets and hamstrings. You, know, you were always meant to be flesh and blood. It's not like you're trying to achieve some sort of um, robot status or, or ether. You're supposed to be the way you are. Although the fall obviously makes the human body very painful. And then there's also this first recorded question. Um, do you know what the first recorded question God ever asks a human is? Genesis 3 verse 9 has it. So just uh, in the right hand column, 3 9, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And you see how geographical that is. Where are you? And of course, what's happened is Adam and Eve have disobeyed. They've taken the fruit. But, the, but God hits them with a, a location question. Where are you? Because you're not faithfully present where I expected you to be. So tell me where you are. You can only be in one place at one time. And uh, the way the, the, the book that Tom was talking about has it, he talks about faithful presence. So if you can only be in one place at one time, then let's talk about being faithfully present in that place. Not like absentee, like Adam and Eve were. Now, it's tempting to think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I could be in more than one place at one time, that would be really useful. I'd get more done. If I could have a body that was more capable of moving around quickly, if I could be more efficient, 
if I could deal with some of the imbalances in my mind, my body, my family situation, my working life, then that would be really nice. But look, God has given you this body for this age. And he's offering you help in being faithfully present with it. He is also planning on upgrading you back into a, a, a superhuman body. You know, in this new creation that Jesus has promised, as Philippians 3 says, he will uh, transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. But even then, you'll only be able to live in one place at one time. It's not like you're going to be transposed into some spirit being forever. You won't. You'll have a body in the new creation. All of which I find funny because I spend my life trying to be in more places than I can be. Do you ever do that or is it just me? I mean, I was, um, I was driving, when was it, Friday, and I stopped at the red light, uh, I think it was the top of the street, just at um, Turnpike Lane, and I was looking in my rearview mirror, and the guy pulling up behind me at the lights is on his phone. And which made me really angry, because I thought, you're going to drive into my back bumper if you don't concentrate. You know, I can see him sort of, he's, you know, you can tell someone's just looking down at their phone. I always want to remonstrate with people like that when they're, they're checking their phone, and yet I, I know how tempting it can be, so you've got to watch yourself, haven't you? it's tempting to check your phone but you can only be in one place dangerous to try and be in your phone, whatever you're doing because you need to be faithfully present in the car otherwise life and death situations or you ever had that experience in an online meeting, you know you are in theory you're in the Zoom or the Teams thing but in practice it's quite tempting just to do something else you know I'll, I'll just text something else and make enough eye contact that they don't know it's better. Meetings go better if you can be present, don't they? If you can have someone's full attention. Or maybe there's someone you love, you know, and uh, you want to be with them in their presence, but uh, you, can't, you can't give it your full attention. It's quite damaging, isn't it? If you're, if you're, if you're on a date with somebody and oh, I, I do want to be here, but I'm distracted, that shows and it can, it can ruin it. So to actually to be faithfully present 100% of me is an amazing gift that you can give people. In the Garden of Eden, this is what ruined things. You know, they, were, they, they were in paradise, but they were overreaching and saying, hmm, I'd quite like a bit more capability, a bit more knowledge, a bit more, bit more knowledge of good and evil, a bit more being like God, and they overreached, and they ruined it. And you can ruin your life by failing to accept that you can only be in one place in one time as a human being. I mean, you can ruin a holiday, can't you? If, if say you're on a really nice holiday, it's lovely. You, the food is great, the weather is great, the, the, uh, the people are great, you're relaxing. But if in your head you're back at home, if in your head you are taking off some work lifts, if in your head you're doing the chores or, or gearing up for something, you could ruin that holiday for yourself and the people you're with. And it's possible to ruin your life by extending it. This is a large part of sin. You know, when we overreach and we say, oh, I'm not really content with who I've been created to be, so I'm going to overreach, then that's a, that's a big part of the problem of sin. That's what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. If you're a Harry Potter fan, by the way, then it's also Voldemort's problem because he takes his soul and he rips it into seven pieces and he tries to, he tries to make himself invincible. But it doesn't work. You can't do that. And the joke's on him in the end because it's better just to accept that you're a human being. If that didn't work for you, then you can leave that one. <laughs> you're a human. You can only be in one place at a time. 
So, compare with me, we're going to turn secondly, compare God. God can be everywhere. That's our second thing. God can be everywhere. So look with me um, in Genesis. I find so much of this is rooted in these early chapters of the Bible. See Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. The end of the creation account, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. How on earth do you see all that you've made? I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you're God, how can you see 200 billion trillion stars, which I, I believe is the number of stars in the universe. How can you see all of them all at once? You can't, unless you are everywhere, right? Because from our single location point of view, it doesn't work, but it, it does for God. He can be, I'm told the nearest star is Alpha Centauri, nearest star to our sun. He could be Alpha Centauri and also here at St. Paul's Haringey. He could be with us here and he could be at the Gospel Centre, the, the church at the other end of Whiteman Road. He could be at the church I once visited. I once went to a church right at the eastern tip of Cuba. And it was, fant- it was like it was on the pointy bit of Cuba and there were Christians there. And he can also be in the house church in China that's meeting in secret underground. It's amazing. God can do that because he's God. Only God can be present if you live with other Christians and they wake up in the same house in the morning and they separate to the four winds you know, during the day. Only, only God can be with them through the real presence of his Holy Spirit because he's God and he can be everywhere. Or in the beautiful words of John's Gospel, would you like to turn back there? John chapter 1 begins with this amazing Genesis-like introduction which may be familiar from carol services. And says in John chapter 1 verse 3, through him all things were made. Isn't that amazing? Through him all things were made. I, um, I, I think it works a bit like uh, uh, fiction. So um, think of a famous story, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Through Jane Austen, all the characters in Pride and Prejudice were made. You know, so Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet and Mrs. Bennet, they all come through her head. And so in a, in a funny way, they, they don't have physical locations, they're fiction. But in a funny way, Jane Austen is present everywhere. Everywhere you turn in that world of Pride and Prejudice, ah, she's been there. The, the, the creator has been there. She's, she's created them in, in a way she, she is everywhere you could turn. And because through him all things were made, everywhere you could turn in God's universe, well, he is. He made it all. You can sort of make your head hurt, really. All places, all physical places, they all come from God, and only he can be in all of them all at once. And you and I, we can't do that. Would you do, um, would you do me a favor, actually? Um, humor me a little here. Could you just repeat after me? Can you repeat, I am a human. I am a human. Can you say, I am not an animal. I am not an animal. I am not God. I am not God. Yes, he is, um, forgive me if it's patronizing, but I find it very refreshing. I am a human. I'm neither an animal, you know, I do have responsibility, but I'm not God. So I'm, I'm not required to be everywhere at once. I'm a human. The great news of Christianity here is all the more refreshing to me because it would be possible at this point in our sermon for God to spit on us 
or if I can put it that way, I, I, it would be possible, like so many of the Greek gods did, to assert their strength and say, well, you pathetic human beings, you know, you cannot be everywhere at once, but I can because I'm God and I'm super. And it would be possible for God to leave us in that state. So many other religions have that kind of narrative. But Jesus doesn't, because what Jesus does is he says, I see you in your weakness, I see you in your limitedness, you are actually the way I made you to be, I'm going to come down and be with you. John 1.14 puts it more beautifully than, I, than I've ever come across. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Get the hang of that? The word is the, the, the God, God the, the, the logic in the universe, God who is everywhere, through him all things were made, and yet <gasps> within the same column he became flesh. God became flesh and lived among us, time-limited humans. Suddenly God had two feet and he could only plant them in one location at one time. There's an author called Sam Albury who is quoted in the, in the book here and he says, Jesus' incarnation is the highest compliment the human body has ever been paid. God not only thought our bodies up and enjoyed putting several billion of them together, he made one for himself. Isn't that amazing? God didn't just think it was a good idea, so he backed it with his creation. He thought it was a good idea, so he backed it with his incarnation. There's an old TV show that um, I used to enjoy catching, but this is going back ages ago. Does anyone remember Back to the Floor? No. <laughs> good. Excuse me. Um, Back to the Floor was a, a, a program I loved to watch, sort of late 90s, early noughties. And um, it, it had a CEO of a company, and they would come down to the factory floor or the shop floor in a different episode each time. So you'd get like the, the CEO of Tesco's, for instance, and they would come down to the shop floor for a week and they'd spend a week stacking shelves or being on the checkout. And it's a fun program to watch because you know, it's quite humbling for the, the executive to come down and, and realize oh, that's actually really hard work. You're just putting in a shift on the shop floor. But also you'd often get at the end of the, um, the episode, the checkout guys or the shelf stackers would say to the CEO, uh, like, you didn't have to come down from your office and be with us, but you did, and we respect that. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, an amazing thing that you've done. And they'd go to a different company each episode. Jesus Christ, if you like, is the Son of God who came back to the floor. He is the Word who became flesh. He, he didn't have to come down, but he, he did come down. He took on a monolocation human body and zipped himself into it. And presumably he must have thought, I am accomplishing very little here. You know, I, I could really be everywhere at once right now. But isn't it amazing that actually by being in one location, he actually accomplished redemption. So by being in one location on the cross, that was the way. That was the way for God's judgment to be funneled into him so that it wasn't funneled into you and I. That was the way he could redeem the whole curse and start the new creation on, on its footing. That was the way he had to do it by being here. So my friends, um, what's God's invitation to you this morning? Well, if I was to put it bluntly, I would say this. Stop trying to be God. <laughs> because I'm saying that to myself. Stop it. Stop trying to be ever at once and being overambitious. But can I put it with a bit more finesse? Um, I'm going to phrase it like a question. Where are you? Remember that's the first question that God asked a human being. Where are you? Wherever you are at any given moment, God is calling you to be holy 
to be faithfully present in that place. You can't be in another place as well as there. So would you do a little exercise for me? Um, if you have a pen, would you write down your address on a bit of paper? Your home address. If you don't have a pen, put it on a ticker tape in your mind or something. Okay, your, your home address where you live at the moment. Okay, now I'm going to get you to be even more specific. Can you write down or um, write in your head the rooms where you spend most time in your home address? So for me, I live in my house. I spend most time in the study and in the back bedroom where I sleep. So they're like my two main rooms where I spend most hours of my life at the moment. Can you do that with yours? Which rooms? If you have an office where you spend a whole load of your life or a workplace, then feel free to, you could write a second address if you want. You, know, you could acknowledge that lots of your time is also spent somewhere else. But whatever you've written down, that's a real place. That's a location. And that place or those places where you're called to be faithfully present are there in front of you. It's not overcomplicated. But what a gift you can give people if you say to yourself and to God, right, well, that's what I'm being called to. So help me do it. Someone was telling me this week that they had a mentor at work for several years who was incredibly busy. Apparently this guy advised prime ministers and governments. He was very successful. But over, over several years, he practiced, he, he, he showed up to mentor this junior employee who's a member of our church. And that wasn't lost on the employee. You know, they thought, oh my goodness, you, you are so busy. You are, you, but but every, every week you are, you are just showing up to be in the same room as me. What a gift to be able to give to somebody if you can. I was inspired just hearing Tom talk very simply about his home group. You know, what, a, what a gift to be able to give a small group of brothers and sisters. I'm just going to show up if I could possibly be there. And it's not going to feel very impressive, but I'm, I'm going to be there in the room with you as much as I possibly can be. Isn't that beautiful? I was looking at the 9.30 service at Siva Clements, who um, she normally sits in that seat there, and uh, she's been coming here since the 1950s, and I was preaching this sermon to her and thanking the Lord for her, because since the 1950s, she's just, just showed up. Through the fire, through the decades, through rain or shine, she comes along, same route, and she, uh, she just is here. What a gift she has given to St. Paul's Haringey. Uh, through being able to be faithfully present to a, to a local church. That's, that's a lot of faithful presence. Maybe in conversation, you know, with someone today, you could look them in the eye and you could think, gosh, I'd really like to know what's going on with the Rugby World Cup, but I'm not going to check the score. I'd, <clears throat> I'd really like to check my, my feed or my messages. or I'd, I'd really like to go and do somewhere else. But actually, I'm here with you and I'm going to commit to this conversation with you as much as I possibly can. Maybe with children, if you have your own children or you look after them sometimes, you can resolve, actually, there are other things I need to get on with, but for the time being, I'm, I'm here with you and I'm going to be here with you with everything that I've got for you. I am, I, uh, I am no expert at this, but I have had one very sweet evening with my children in the last couple of months where I thought, I'm going to try and do this and there's plenty of other stuff to do, but I'm just going to try and be with them, try not to be in a hurry, just be in the room with them. And it was, it was one of the most special evenings we've had together. Maybe you are at the moment in a location you don't want to be. 
well, hopefully you want to be here. <laughs> but, uh, but maybe you find yourself in a traffic jam, in a conversation you don't want to be in, in a living situation you don't like, in a job that you're, you're not thriving in. What do you do then? Well, look, you're still called to be faithfully present, godly, holy, in there for the time being. It doesn't mean you can't try and change the situation. You, know, you could change the address that you wrote down, but then you're going to be there and you're going to be called to be faithfully present there. So as far as you're able, fulfill your obligations, be present in the location and do what God's called you to do. Be holy. If you're in danger, obviously, please remove yourself and, and get some help. But otherwise, stay where you are. Can we finish with a little Peppa Pig? <laughs> uh, Peppa Pig is a cartoon about a family of pigs. And, and uh, it's been popular in my household for a few years now. Um, Daddy Pig is a much maligned character in the cast. And this really wound me up for a little while because I am a dad and I didn't like the way the scriptwriters continually poke fun at Daddy Pig. He's often the butt of the jokes. And, um, oh, ha, 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 Daddy Pig tried some DIY and he knocked the wall down by accident. I feel that very keenly. Uh, and so I was sort of annoyed about this. I was going off Peppa Pig and you know, I was down on it whenever the kids wanted to watch it. But my mum got wind of me grumbling and she... she gently said, look, he may be the butt of the jokes, but at least he's there. And in my family, I won't unpack everything, but that's a very precious and poignant thing. At least he was there. Can I encourage you? This is not an academic sermon. It's about your life. It's about real life. It's about you being faithfully present in the room with the people you're called to be in with. Imagine a church full of daddy pigs, if you see what I mean. <laughs> Imagine a church where people want to be there, they've chosen to be there. They, you go to a home group, wow, everyone wants to be here, they're committed to this. Imagine what it would be like to come into that community as an outsider. Wow. Imagine a family like that, a household like that. Imagine working with colleagues like that, it would be amazing. You can only be in one place at one time. And maybe that is the most refreshing beautiful thing that God is calling you to at the moment. Let's pray. Father God, we've only got two feet and we can only put them in one location. So please, would you help us to be faithfully present, Father? I pray, pray this would have so many implications for us in the lives you called us to live. I pray, Father, that uh, you would give us what we need, because sometimes it's really hard to be faithfully present in one place at one time, but we hear what you're calling us to. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this might be something that we could live out day by day, month by month, year by year. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.